Eight years ago, it started with an ending. It started with burying a church in the ground and hoping to watch it grow. And it has. It began with a vision for a church unlike any other. A church for the 800,000 people who don't like church. And not just in this city, but all over America and around the globe. And in eight short years, we've seen 2,040 people give their lives to Jesus Christ. 2,311 follow Him in baptism. We've given over 30,000 toys to less fortunate children, blessed 19 families with clean slates, and transformed over 1,000 families through Safe Harbor. And we're just getting started. We're taking the next step toward reaching Tulsa by launching our Midtown campus. We're striving to reach a lost world with goals of ministries on every inhabitable continent, with spearheads in Brazil and Egypt, spreading light in darkness, a city on a hill, that cannot be hidden. And you, you're part of this vision because this is our church, our city, our world, and our vision. Own it. Let me just begin today and go ahead and get out of the way and say congratulations to all of the OSU fans. I get harassed all the time for leaving OSU out and forgetting that they have a football program. And, and, a, and uh, but I'll just tell you this. As, as coming here from Arkansas, I'm a diehard Razorback fan just trying to pick a team uh, to cheer for in Oklahoma, and I, I just picked OU. And the main reason I picked OU is the color, and uh, it, it's just better than that orange. And, and uh, what OSU did with their uniforms this season is tremendous, and, and they looked awesome last night. In fact, I was just thinking, how do we get that color on our, our fifth-grade team next year's helmets? And, and uh, really, really, really great performance, and uh, all of you know that I am uh, partial to the SEC. And uh, I still think, even though I am an SEC fan, I think it is a dominant conference. I, I think the right thing to do is to let OSU play uh, LSU in the national championship. I don't think it'll happen, but I, I do think it would be the right thing to, to do. And, and uh, let me just get that out of the way and just say to all of you, I recognize OSU has had a phenomenal year, and uh, I, I'm not an OSU hater, okay? And so let's, let's, let's move into what we are here for today, and today is a day of celebration. And it is a special day. We've carved it out of the calendar in between uh, a couple of series because we wanted to celebrate. We've been talking about this word ownership uh, over the last few weeks uh, at Battle Creek and owning the vision that the Lord gives you and owning the destiny that the Lord has for you individually and owning the vision corporately that the Lord put in our faith family. And many of you, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of you, journeyed with us over that 20-day uh, period of time, fasting and doing the devotional and praying for miracles. And today we want to celebrate some of what the Lord has done in our midst and some of what the Lord has done in, in our church. And it's a special time to celebrate what God is doing in and through the lives at the church at Battle Creek. A couple of weeks ago, we began talking about King David, and we're talking about this offering. First Chronicles 29, if you got your Bible, let's go there, and uh, we're going to walk through uh, some of those verses again today, but we said that King David, and, and he made these offerings, and he wanted to build this temple for God, and his life had been full of fighting and bringing peace to the nation of Israel, but at the end of his life, he wanted to do something great, and he wanted to do something lasting, and he wanted to do something that would go on for, for centuries and decades, and lo and behold, here we are, uh, centuries and decades later, talking about what he did. And, and that was David's heart 
But God said, no, you're not going to be the one to build the temple. There's too much bloodshed in your life, too much uh, battling uh, in, in your hands. And, and so he said, your son Solomon can be the one to build the temple. And so what David did next is uh, get his son ready for all that the, he knew that God wanted to do uh, through his son. So he gave this huge offering of his own resources, an enormous offering uh, of his own property. And, and at one point he stands up and says, who's going to follow my example? And so he declared, I'm giving this and this and this and this. And he was very, very sacrificial. And as a response, the people of God, the nation of Israel, gave. And they all became extremely generous. And they were champions of generosity now uh, among the people of God. And they gave these offerings. And this is really uh, this this commissioning service of Solomon in 1 Chronicles 29 that he's commissioning his son to build this temple and there's this celebration Sunday if you will that's taking place in 1 Chronicles 29 and as we read these words I want to show you three things out of this text that that ought to be uh, true in our lives as believers and ought to be true in our life as a church and a faith family and the first one uh, that I want you to see is that God is our focus. God was David's focus in this journey, and God is our focus as a church. It's been said by people who study human psychology that when you face hardship, your reaction to that shows what's really in your heart, and that when you face hardship, your response to that is a great indicator of your character and a revealer of your heart, and I I think that's very true. But on the flip side of that, I would say when you are blessed and you receive great success, and you are victorious, your response to that is equally an indicator of your heart and equally an indicator of where your uh, focus happens to be and reveals a lot about your heart. In that moment of success, who do you praise? And in that moment of favor and and being blessed, who are you giving credit to? And do you recognize God in that? And, And the question is, according to this text, what is it that David did? Look at verse 10 in 1 Chronicles 29. It says, Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, now, I want you to underline that and, and write that uh, circle and star that little, uh, I guess that would be a prepositional phrase, in the presence of the whole assembly. He praised the Lord. This wasn't just some private, quiet time. This wasn't just some, dev- he praised the Lord in the presence of the entire assembly. Oh, Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O oh Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. That would make a great series to go through each one of those words as David is declaring, these belong to you, God. All of these, the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything. Just in case I forgot something David said. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Now, I don't know if you've been paying attention to uh, the NFL, and, and you really, quite honestly, you don't even have to be paying attention to the NFL to have picked up on this story that, that this kid, uh, Tim Tebow, who won a couple of national championships at Florida and was a Heisman Trophy winner, has become the starting quarterback at uh, the Broncos, Denver Broncos. And uh, in the last six weeks of starting as the quarterback of the Denver Broncos, he's 5-1 and, and, and has won five games and, and uh, has turned this program around. In fact, they have reorganized the entire offense around this one player to say, here are his gifts and here are his skills. So we're going to reorganize this whole offense to be built around this kid, Tim Tebow. And, uh, and if you've been watching uh, any of these games, which I have been, I never watched the Denver Broncos, but I've been watching because of all this attention. Uh, uh, it is not pretty 
And it's not glorious victory, but they put the ball over the goal line more than their opponents, and most of that is by Timbo, Tim Tebow on his own feet, right? We can give him a nickname, right? And, and, and so it's not pretty. It, it's gritty. It's not this graceful pro set spread off. It, it is this, this ugly football, but he's winning football games. Now, that's not the reason he's getting the attention. The reason he's getting the attention is because he gives so much attention to Jesus, and, uh, in fact, I've seen pictures uh, of jerseys with his number on it and Jesus, you know, on the back. And that he's putting Jesus above his number and all of that. I mean, it's just, you know, stuff. But I, every sports talk station I've listened to in the last four or five weeks is talking about it. And, and the controversy is so high to which I don't, quite honestly, I don't understand. There have been lots of players in the NFL give glory to Jesus. And lots of NFL players over the years bring uh, attention to Jesus. But now even former uh, stars and quarterback stars are coming back and saying, I just think he needs to quit talking about Jesus. To which Tebow responded this week. And I don't know if you saw that. He was asked in, a, in an interview, uh, what do you have to say about these heroes saying that maybe you ought to give less attention to Jesus? His response was so mature and so beyond his years. As he looked into the microphone, he said, listen, for those of you who are married, when you get married, you tell your wife you love her, but you don't just tell her on the day that you got married. Some of you do, but it's not a good marriage. And what you do is you tell her over and over and over that you love her. And he said, the way that I view Jesus is I am in relationship with him. And I'm not just going to tell him I love him on the first day of entering into the relationship with him. I'm going to tell him over and over again. And he just said, you just need to understand every opportunity that God gives me to talk about Jesus, I'm going to talk about Jesus. And I'm going to tell him I love him, which is awesome, right? And so... Here's this kid. Now, I don't know if it's one because of the other or one. I'm not saying his success is because he loves Jesus, all right? There are a lot of Christian athletes who are not any good and, 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 and don't help their teams, right? They love the Lord and he's not good at their sport. But, but the, the truth of the matter is, I, I don't understand all of that, kind of, but I love in the midst of this success where his heart is and where his focus is and that he's giving credit to God and it's showing quite honestly I think it shows his character and and over and over and over again in this book God instructs us to praise him and to worship him and to thank him and and to love him And, and listen to Psalm 147 sing out your thanks to the Lord sing praises to our God I want to call your attention to the word sing there Uh, psalm 100 verse 1 and 2 shout with joy to the lord all the earth shout worship the lord with gladness come before him singing with joy and there's lots and lots of ways to thank the lord there's lots and lots of ways to to praise uh jesus and one of the best ways quite honestly is singing and I just want to say to you that Christianity is a singing faith. It has been since the beginning. In fact, it was all the way back to Adam and Eve it, and Abraham and David and on and on and on and on. All, it is a singing faith. And so I just want to sidebar for a second and say to those of you who show up late, you need to come early. And some of you avoid the music intentionally. You're like, I hate what they do, you know, musically, and I just show up for the preaching. And I get the question periodically, Pastor, why do we even do all that singing? I, you know, I just want to hear the preaching, right? And, and, uh, and you get comments about the music, the very first song this morning. How many of you were in here for the very first song? Uh, lots of you. How many loved that very first song? How many of you hated that very first song? And, and so uh, the two of you that hated it are in the minority, by the way. And, and, and what I would say to you is uh, this morning, it's funny that I walked down to the youth area. And we just have to be honest, right? I mean, we, we got I mean, to laugh at ourselves because we are peculiar people as church people. And, and we just got to be honest. I'm walking down the hall to go to the youth area because my daughter, 
who is 11, is playing the guitar in the youth praise band this morning for the very first time. And, and so I got to go see that. And so I'm, I was late for the first service because I wanted to go watch her lead worship, which just brings great, great joy to my heart. And walking out of that door right back there into the hallway after that first, I didn't even hear the first song, but after that first song, uh, two people walked out and one of them was like, Lord have mercy, what are we doing? And the other one was like, that was stinking awesome. I'm not kidding you. On the heels of one another, those two comments, one comes out as walks by, and then the other one says, like, it was awesome. And he walks down to the youth area. Just, he, he, was, he was late going to the youth area because he was so excited about the song that we were doing here, which shows you that it's just a matter of opinion, quite honestly. And, and the truth of the matter is it's not about the style. And if you have walked out of a worship service, and all of you have if you've ever been to a worship service, if you've ever walked out of a worship service and you thought, man, that was, that was good worship today, or... Boy, that, that wasn't so good worship today. Let me just say something to you. That is a meistic approach to worship. Because what you were saying is, I liked it or I didn't like it. Which if you would just say that, that would be just honest. I've said it, right? I mean, that's part of what I feel like my job is, is to evaluate what happened around here. And, and so I, I feel like sometimes I get paid to critique worship. Which I'm not altogether comfortable with because I don't know anything about music. Right? But, but if you walk out of here and you think, well, that was good or that was bad, that's meistic. What you ought to walk out of here going to, God, what did you think about that? Because who was it for? It was for God. And the singing part of our faith is part of our faith. Among the assembly that, that we come together and we worship. Now, you ought to do it together, but you ought to do it individually too. You ought to be praising God all week long and giving him thanks and singing. to Him. It's part of how he wired you. And for you to just say, well, I'm, I'm just not a saint, that's just not true. You may not be any good at it. I'm not either. In fact, there's some people that I ask Keith not to allow to sit beside me because they're so bad at it. And I don't want to hear them sing because it's just detrimental to my worship. But, but the truth, well, and that's the reason you don't put people up here with a microphone that can't sing. I've been to lots of churches that do that. And the, the most gracious thing they could do is say, hey, you can't sing. I think a lot of churches would be really gracious to say to their preacher, you can't preach. You just ought to lead, right? Let's find somebody else. Let's put people in their gifts. If I were the one organizing all the things around here, our staff would be wise enough to come up to me and say, it looks like a bowl full of spaghetti, Pastor. You don't need to lead that. And so we just put people in their gifts. But singing is not one of those things. You're supposed to sing and make a joyful noise to the Lord. Nowhere does it say on pitch in Scripture. <laughs> or in tune. We, would, we ought to worship the Lord. And singing is part of that. And if you have been avoiding singing to Jesus and avoiding singing to your Lord, you are missing a piece of discipleship that would take you far in your worship of who he is in your relationship with him. And I just got to love you by telling you the truth about it. Singing is part of the faith. So start trying it. You got to try in the shower, try it in the shower. But, but just let, let's worship the Lord in singing and we come together and it's an overflow of what happens in our individual uh, lives. And, and, and so we're thanking him for who he is. He's a big God, right? He's a big, 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 big God and there's no other God like him. All the gods of all the other religions are not gods who come near. But our God is the God who comes near. Our God is the one who dealt, knelt down to humanity and became human and lived among us. Sinless. 
and then died for us. That's the God that we serve. He comes near to us. That's what Christmas time is all about, is him coming to us and him coming near to us. And we ought to worship him for that. And we ought to be thankful for that type of thing that God did for us. He came to us. He lived with us. He died for us. He, he rose again so that we could be raised again. We ought to live with thankful hearts about that. But not just for who he is, but for what he's done We can do this as a group and we do it individually. You ought to keep a prayer journal and write down the things that the Lord is doing for you. And and, and that's why we do the Lord's Supper. How many of you did the Lord's Supper in a community group uh, last few weeks? Lots and lots of us. And it was good for every community group, I think, except for mine. And the reason maybe it wasn't as good for mine is because I was sitting in the room. And and I was sitting on the couch and and, uh, the group was like, you're here. Why don't you just lead us? You know, the Lord's Supper, why are we going to do the video? And I said, well, I haven't seen the video. I want to proof it. And, and, and so, you know, we need to do the video. And, and it was a mistake for me to watch the video and my group to watch the group, the video with me sitting in there because the people that edited the video, nobody came to me and said, Pastor, your eyes are going. <laughs> on the video, that's just freaky. And, 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 and what happened on that video is somebody walked into the room while we were recording it. And we've been trying to figure out who it was because none of us remember who it was so that we can blame them. And... and you know, and so this running gun game, we're just blaming other people. But the, the, the Lord's Supper is about remembering what Jesus did for us. We're going to do the Lord's Supper on Christmas Eve. And it's one of the services that we do every year. Christmas Eve has become second to Easter around here. It is a new opportunity that the Lord has provided in our culture, and our generation, to reach people. Christmas Eve, people are open. There are people I pray for all year long who will never come to church with me, but for what, whatever reason, they come with me on Christmas Eve. And it is an opportunity for you to bring people with you. We're adding a service this year, and we're going to do three. We're going to do 2.30, 4, and 5.30. Is that right? 2.34 and 5.30, and, and, and three services on Christmas Eve. It's one of the few times a year we bring the kids in. Now, we have child care from zero to three or four. I don't remember the age, but four years old and up come into the service, and, and, and we're going to do the Lord's Supper together. In fact, we're, the opportunities we're providing for the congregation at Christmas time this year are, are remarkable. Christmas Eve, three services. On Christmas Day, we're not going to meet here on the campus, but we're going to stream a service live every hour on the hour for you to pull up at home. Not every time, just do it once. And, and, and w- w- with your family and with your friends and, and to watch it together from my living room to your living room. And, and I'm going to lead you in just a, a brief uh, Christmas worship service together from, from your home for you to gather your family and friends around a computer, or around a TV or whatever technology you have. One of the things that we started talking about is outreach at Christmas time because this is such an incredible time of the year that people are open to Jesus and, and open uh, to what Merry Christmas is all about. And so one of the things we're going to do is, I, I never even heard of anybody doing it. It's completely non-traditional. On December 20th, Thursday night, December 20th, the kids are out of school. huh? Tuesday, is that right? Tuesday night, December 20th, we're going to do a movie night. And we're going to put the huge screen right here, and we're going to pull out some of these chairs in the front and have chairs in the back. We're going to make popcorn and hot chocolate and peppermint sticks and all of that. And and it's a movie night. We're going to show Polar Express. And and, and the reason we're doing that is we're saying bring your kids, bring your family, and bring your kids' friends and their family to a movie night at the church, a classic 
Christmas movie, which is well done, and our comedians around here will emcee the deal, and you know, like dinner and a movie on TBS or whatever, you know, and so every 30 minutes, they'll stop the movie and do a little trivia, and, and through that, we're going to work the gospel in, and we're going to share the gospel with your, with your kids' friends and, and your kids' parents, and, and let me just say this clearly. This is not a drop-off for you to go shopping or, or, or whatever on a date night, all right? The, the, no kids allowed without supervision. All right, this is not a babysitting service. This is an outreach opportunity for us to go get families, for you to go get your kids' team and, and their families and bring them to, hey, come watch a movie with us at a movie night. And we'll have hot chocolate and all that, and it's free, and, and, and then we're going to share the gospel with, with people through that. And so I, I, I got completely derailed uh, from the message. I don't even remember where I was. Don't miss an opportunity to say thank you to God, okay, is, is, is what I'm saying. And uh, God has done so much for us, right? And he owns all the resources in the world and has access to all of the resources in, in, in the world. He's the source of all great things in our lives, and David knew that. And so God is our focus. Number two, heaven is our source. Look at verse 12. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion, people are made great and given strength. Oh, our God, we thank you, we praise you, and we praise your glorious name. In other words, God is the source of all the riches of the world, and all the riches of the world are at his disposal. And what Jesus told us to do with all of those riches is to store up treasure in heaven, not on earth. I don't know if you look at the USA Today app. It's one of the apps I look at every day. And, and as I click on the money tab and read the financial articles in, in the nation's paper on the USA Today, I, I get really depressed. And I, I mean, I, it's just, it, it's beyond depressing. And, and what is happening? People are now putting their money in gold and, and the dollar is going down and the euro is going down and all these world currencies are crashing. And, and the thing that my heart rests in when I read about all of that is that heaven According to Jesus, surest investment you can make. And that now I take resources and I, I'm not storing them here on earth. I'm storing them in heaven by putting them in the economy of God. And that's the message that David is teaching us here, that, that we've all been saying that all things belong to God, all things come from God, and all things are distributed by God. And, and if we believe that with all of our hearts, that all things belong to God, all things come from God, and all things are distributed by God, it changes the way we look at things. Look at verse 16. Our Lord, our God, even this material we have gathered to build a temple to honor your holy name comes from you. Is that not amazing? I mean, even the things we're gathering, all the resources you've given us to bring and to put into the, to the bucket and at the altar to lay before you, you gave them to us. I mean, they already belong to you. I've used this illustration with you before, but I can't think of a better one. When I was a, you know, a junior high kid, my parents used to take me and my brother and my sister to the mall, and, and my dad would open up his wallet, and he would give us money or credit cards, and, and, he, and he, he would sit on the bench in the mall, and the three of us would go. My sister was too young to go by herself, so she would go with me or my brother one, and we would go store to store, and we would buy Christmas presents for my parents with his credit card. And you think that just sounds silly, but that's exactly what you do with a child, right? They don't have any money, and they don't have, and, and my parents would just say, you go, and there was just something, I think, in my dad's heart to see, what, what are you going to do with what's mine to show me your heart? Which is exactly a picture of what God does with all of the things he puts in our hands, right? I mean, he, it's all his anyways. And he puts it in our hand to say, let me just see what you're going to do with it. It has to be from God's perspective like a bunch of Monopoly money. Right? I mean, he doesn't care about the currency of this world. It means nothing to him. It's more, monopoly money is more valuable to us than the currency of this world is valuable to God. 
Are you, are you tracking with what I'm saying? And, and so God puts this monopoly money, these toys in our hands, not because he wants it, but to teach us and to guide our hearts to trust him and to love him, to say, with this game you are playing called life and this m- currency that is paper, what, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to give it to me? Are you going to show me your heart? Are you going to worship me over and, and over again? And, and the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, when we turned in our 20 commitment card on Sunday, it was by faith. And, and this, for Meredith and I, 15% of an annual salary. That we said, you know what, Lord? We're going to trust you with that. And we're going to give it. And we said, Lord, we're giving that and one offering or two. And, and, and over the next 20, it was by faith. And, and many of you stood up and followed the example. Lots and lots of you did. And over and over and over again this month, I've gotten story after story after story delivered on Facebook or by email of people who've committed to the Lord through this journey. I, I just want to read you a couple of, uh, of these today. We turned in our 20-week commitment card on Sunday that was done by faith. My husband is a firefighter and owns a lawn care business. And with the extreme heat and the drought that we had, his, his business this last year was down 30%. But she said, but I felt God wanted to show us what he can do. So the next day after we turned in our card, we received an unexpected refund that was half of our total pledge. And it was as if God was saying, I got this and you trust me. Incredible story. Here's another one. She begins, or yeah, she begins by saying, this seems somewhat small in comparison to some of the stories that you get, but this is a huge deal to me. My husband and I have been married for two years and have never tithed due to my husband's fear of not having enough money to survive. She's blaming it all on him. (laughs) Maybe legit, right? I, 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 on the other hand, wanted to tithe because we did have enough to survive. I've been praying about this for two years and finally, all caps, My husband felt convicted to start tithing. He is still really, really nervous, but we are doing it, and I am thrilled, and we cannot wait to see what God does. And as I read that one, you know what I thought? I thought about Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Remember that that they said to the the king about throwing us in the uh, fiery furnace? Our God can save us. But even if he doesn't, he's worthy, right? And it's not about God, you know, coming through. It's about God, And I'm not trusting God for anything. I'm trusting God to be God. And that's where I place my trust, in the fact that he is God. Not in that he's going to give me this cool story. He does. But that's not why. It's because he is worthy. Here's another financial miracle. The last couple of years have been very stressful, especially financially. I've gotten counseling for my finances, and I have worked so hard trying to get things in order. Many times working seven days a week and sometimes 14 hours a day just so that I could be in the process of paying bills as they came in. And I knew that God would understand me not tithing. I'm a preacher's kid. I should have known better. I worked as a waitress part-time and the restaurant ended up closing right before we started the fast. I literally cried out to God and said, God, I need your help. Two days later, I was offered an amazing job. They came to me, she said, which has never happened. 
The job was an instant doubling of my salary. I was swimming in bills, and I decided at that point, okay, God, this is from you. I'm stepping out on faith. You get the first 10%. That week, I won a trip that I cashed in on, plus some other money that I won, and she put in parentheses, no casinos involved. (laughs) Almost an extra grand came in that took care of my bills. He is faithful. I, I know Alex has been preaching just to me the last few weeks on tithing. I'm going to tithe, and without a doubt, I know that Mr. Gordon will not be writing a check back for me. Not only financially, though, God has come through in amazing ways. Incredible stories. We taught you to pray for miracles, and just story after story of miracles coming in. Listen to this one. I was at a student council convention the day of Miracle Praying Sunday. My husband attended and prayed for a miracle like Alex led the people to do. Two hours later, he got a call from his cousin who is a teacher that one of her students was pregnant with twins and needed an adoptive parent for them. We have been trying to adopt for eight months and have not heard anything in a moment God provided for us. Is that not an incredible story? I I mean, just we're currently working with a lawyer. The babies are due at the same time the Midtown campus was open, a will open. God is working miracles. Another story from someone who works at the Laura Dester Shelter. The Laura Dester Shelter is the DHS shelter in Tulsa. Many of you have been In fact, our church provides community groups every Sunday night uh, to go and play with the children in in the shelter. And if you want to be one of those groups that goes, you can just sign up and go. Listen to what she says. During the 20-day fast, I prayed for the church at Battle Creek, for Egypt, and for Midtown. I prayed for three personal things, too. One of those was the kids at the Lardester Shelter where I work, that they would be able to visit Christian homes during the holidays this year. For six weeks, I asked multiple people, What needed to happen to get it done? I received multiple responses, but no real answer. Two weeks before Thanksgiving, I was in a meeting, and a DHS representative said, I can make that happen. And they did. And it happened. And DHS made a huge policy change, streamlined all kinds of procedures, and in 10 days, foster children from Laura Dester were matched with host homes and were able to celebrate Thanksgiving in a Christian home. Is that not incredible? In fact, I've gotten calls from the people at DHS saying, Pastor, I don't know what is going on at your church, but your people believe the Bible. (laughs) And and, and they practice what they preach, and they practice what they believe. In fact, she said to me, 19 families took all of our children in for Thanksgiving, and 18 go to the church at Battle Creek. Isn't that incredible? And they took these sibling groups in two or three or four at a time for the day for six, seven, or eight hours and just loved on these kids. To which I would just say to you, that is the litmus test of your heart. You want one? There is one. Go through the process to to take a kid from the shelter into your home on Christmas Day. In fact, Christmas, they're going to let them spend the night for 12 or 24 hours. And and if you really want to know which family members in your family are good, and which ones aren't? Try this. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm not kidding. Really, I mean, you, you've been looking for a litmus test to say, is that cousin good or is that cousin Eddie, right? You know, and, and, and are, 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 do these people really love Jesus or do they just, you know, like singing out of the book? I mean, you, you will find out. We're going to bring a kid in from the shelter for 24 hours. The family members who are cool with that love the Lord, right? The ones who don't, playing lip service. You can find out in one day who's good in your family and who you need to pray for. Great opportunity, the way I see it. In fact, if somebody says, that's just not my spiritual gift, don't hang out with them anymore. 
right? It's not a spiritual gift, right? I can serve soup for 12 hours. It's not my gift. I do it because it's the right thing to do, right? Amazing, amazing. It could be really, really fun. Video it if you do this. <laughs> Video your family's responses. A teaching moment for your children. Say, Grandma's just not that good, right? <laughs> and, and, and That's not in my script, by the way, okay? Play 9 o'clock because I didn't say that at 9. He, he was totally amazed that that happened for Thanksgiving. He had, listen, the head had said this could happen Christmas of 2012. And it happened in 10 days for Thanksgiving this year. God, God is so good. Uh, story after story. Uh, there's one I want to bring up on uh, the stage. Brian, would you come at this uh, time? And, and Brian's been coming to the church for a little over three months and, and uh, has, has been on a journey with the Lord, and, and uh, I just just talk about what led you to the point that you came to the church for a minute. Um, well, um, I, I just have to say that on my, my drive here today, <clears throat> the word that stuck in my head was sick. Um, the majority of my life, I felt really, really sick. Spiritually, um, in my soul, in my mind, um, and I felt very, very lost. And I know there's a lot of people out there in this world that feel the same way. Um, and it just, it, it manifested itself in me, no matter what I did. I had a pretty good life as far as people in the world would see. Uh, I was in the music industry of a creative guy, had a good career, I'm educated. Um, I had all those things. But I wake up in the morning and I feel sick. Why am I here? What, my life doesn't feel like it should be lived. I mean, why should I even try to live it? And it built itself and built itself over years and years. I'm 46 years old, and I can remember probably 10 years of my life when I was a child when I was actually really happy. Um, and I had no joy. And just recently, within the last few months, um, that pain and all that worthlessness and despair and depression and everything, um, it hit me like a ton of bricks. It took over my mind and my soul and my spirit, uh, and it made me fall like I was falling on concrete. Uh, concrete would have been a comfortable fall, the way I felt. I took out all this, this stuff that I built up over all this time. I took it out of my family, and I took it out of myself in a violent way. I won't go into detail, but it was a violent a violent expression of what was ripped out inside of me. Um, and by the response in my family and by the response in, uh, of myself and my heart, I felt empty. And, and it just drained me. And I sat down after that experience and I asked God, I said, if you're going to save me, you better save me now. Because I'm checking out. I wanted to die that day, and I was totally convinced that I was going to die. And I sat there, and it felt like God put his hand right on my lap and said, Brian, I've been here this whole time. I've been standing right next to you, and I knew who God was, but I pushed him away for years. And for the first time in my life, I put my hand there, and I just got a rush of feeling, a rush of care and like a blanket over me. And over the next few days and, and week, God spoke to me through people, through, 
through people that I wouldn't expect him to speak to me through. Because I asked him, come to me and, and help me in a way that I would only know. And through a doctor and through people I worked with and through odd people, I got that message. The first time I walked in the doors of Battle Creek, I, I mean, I didn't hear Pastor Alex speak. I, I didn't know anybody here. It was out of character for me to even actually walk in. And, and I walked in and I felt, Im, I felt Im, immediately comfortable, warm, like I belonged here, like this was my place. And for weeks after that, it just got better and better and better. During our 20-week fast, I got baptized, and I've got into the book. I've journaled. I, I write to God in my journal every day. Not because, you know, I want to write and get hand cramps. It's because I, I want to communicate to God. I want to have a relationship with Him. And now when I have questions, and now when I have despair, and now when I get depressed, and now when I feel pain, and now when I feel sick, I go to the Word because that's the only place to go. And if you're out there and you feel alone, you're not. I don't care what you're going through, you're not alone. God is right next to you. Just take His hand and everything works out from there. That's good. Would you thank Brian for sharing? Great job. That story around here over and over and over and over again. That's the reason I love this place. Is it a doctor or, or a teacher or, or somebody who goes here says to a patient or a client, hey, come and go to church with me. They brought him here. and He felt the tug of the Holy Spirit when he came here and he ended up giving his life to Jesus, ended up following the Lord in believer's baptism and is on a path to advance in his journey with Christ. And, and it all happened in just a few months. The guy's been a believer just a little over a month. And, and what God has done in his life is miraculous. And, and the story, I, I just want to say to you today, there is a wave of growth that is coming to the church at Battle Creek. Greater than any wave we've seen in the past, which those of you who've been around a long time would say, that's not even possible. And there's a truth that we all need to understand, and the truth is this last truth today, that people are our motivation, that God is our focus, and heaven is our source, but people are our motivation. And all throughout this process, I've fielded the question, why? Why Midtown? Why now? Why that location? Why, 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 why? And the answer is simple, people. People need a relationship with Jesus. And we want to see people's lives transformed. And we want to see a vision that in the 50s to plant a church on, on that corner to, to reach people for Jesus in the, in the 1950s, renewed and watch that campus rebirthed and revitalized and life sprung back into it. And we're doing this for people, the same reason that David did what he did. Look at verse 17 and 18. I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and you rejoice when you find integrity there. You know that I have done all this with good motives and I've watched your people. 
people. I've watched your people offer their gifts willingly and joyously. O Lord, the God of our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, who are people, make your people always want to obey you. See to it that their love for you never changes. David was about changing lives, and we're about changing. David was about turning hearts back to God and watching that happen, and that's what we're about. And you guys gave tremendously a few weeks ago to that end. And committed to give over the next 20 weeks in a very generous and sacrificial way. Because you desire to see the same thing happen. Hearts changed and lives turned to God. And the numbers that came in two weeks ago, the offering on that one particular day, and the pledges over the 20 weeks total $800,000. Just praise the Lord. And you gave... With the goal in mind of walking into that place on Easter Sunday with it paid for. I don't know if you remember the price. It's right around $800,000, which will enable us to go into that building debt-free. If all of us give what we said we would give, we will walk into that building with not a note on it. Owning it, which is awesome. And, and, and what I want to say, and I've been trying to think through how to say this in such a way that, that I would say it, that, that, that it would be clear that there are other things we have to do to prepare that property to receive people. Okay, in other words, we couldn't open the doors tomorrow. Uh, there are things that have to be done to get it ready for babies and, and where mothers would feel comfortable bringing their babies there. And, and we have to get it ready for children. And we have to get it ready for students. And we have to get it ready for worship. And we have to uh, create parking spots. And we've got to pour asphalt. And, and, and there, there's a building we've got to pour down. And, and there are things that are going to cost a lot, a lot, a lot of money, probably more than $800,000. In order for us to prepare that building and get it ready. And the goal in my mind was that all of that would be funded through this process as well. And so what, what I believe with all my heart is there are people out here who haven't given yet. And, and, and I'm just praying, quite honestly, that there are some of you that have been waiting to see what that total came in at. And that you just said, I'm going to get the difference. And, and so $1.2 million is what we need today. And uh, if you just want to write that check or transfer the stock or, or whatever, move the gold or bring the silver plates and lay them here on the wall. But there, there are things that, that we got to go do. And where it's incredible how much was given and the sacrifice. And let me just say, I had a number I didn't even share. The thing that I'm most excited about is not the $800,000 in, in a 20-week period of time. Well, the thing that I'm most excited about is that 131 families said for the very first time, we're going to try tithing. You ought to clap for that one because that is a bigger deal than the other. And I don't know how many people that represents or how many children that represents or how many single parents. I don't, I don't know who that and what that represents, but I know 131 families said, we're going to trust God. If you want a plan to advance in your journey with Jesus Christ, trusting him is top five steps. Trusting him. And, and the greatest way you can trust him in this culture is with your treasure. Right? You trust him for salvation, I'll trust him with the monopoly money. And watch and see what God does. And so there, there's a lot that, that's happening, a lot that needs to take place, a lot that still needs to come in. And First Chronicles, look at verse 19. Give my son Solomon the wholehearted desire to obey all your commands. You want a prayer request for your children or a biblical prayer to pray for your children? Give my kids a wholehearted desire to obey all your commands, Lord. Great prayer from King David. Your laws and your decrees and to do everything necessary to build this temple for which I have made preparations. In other words, God, help my kid love the church. I mean, I, can you think of a better prayer 
to pray for your kids. Lord, let them love you and let them love your church. And let them be wholeheartedly committed to the church of Jesus Christ, to the New Testament church. I mean, if you don't pray anything else for your kids, that, that's, that's enough. Lord, let them love the Lord and let them love your church. And be wholeheartedly committed to your plan to, to reach this world. And Solomon needed the necessary preparations to build the temple. And there are things that, that we need above owning the property to make the preparations, as I've said a moment ago. And in years past, when we've done faith stewardship campaigns, we called them next steps. And we didn't use it that word because I just got bored with that title. But the truth is still true, right? Because it's the next step. And what we just did is the next step of the next steps, and there's always going to be next steps. And you look back eight years, there have been next step after next step after next step. And, and the truth of the matter is, as we approach a decade old, we're, we're, we're months away from being a decade old as a church. Not more than 12, but less than 24. I don't know. The, I haven't done the math today. But wh- what I'm saying is, is in months, we're going to be around for 10 years. And what I'm watching God do in the last few months is, is to take us to this place of influence and to take us to this place where doors are opening that never opened before. There are doors we've been knocking on for eight years plus years that God is finally opening. Favor with school systems and favor with government officials and favor with people in the city. And for four or five years, we were just ignored. I mean, nobody even knew who we were. But today, God is saying, I'm doing something there in the lives of people. The thing God's been speaking to my heart is, Alex, you want to see a a city transformed? Just hang around and don't leave. And the staff staying in a church and a pastor staying in a church and volunteers staying at a church over the long haul is not a guarantee for growth. I'm just going to tell you the absence of it is a guarantee for the absence of growth. And some of it's just a process of elimination. You just hang around a decade or two. In a city, you begin to see astronomical things happen and you watch multiplication begin to happen. The thing God's speaking to my heart the last few weeks is, is for some of you, I think, not just for me, but for some of you, some of you have been committed to ministry around here. You've been volunteering in ministry, or you have, and, and you've stepped aside, and you've been taking a break, and, or, or, or you've been thinking about going somewhere else that's smaller, or maybe, you know, it's different. Or what, and what, what I want to say to you is, come back. Come back to the vision. It hadn't changed. And it doesn't all look the same, but the vision is as secure and as solid as it has ever been. And the thing I am convinced of, I, in fact, I feel it more today than I did when there were 120 people. When we had 120 people, I just remember watching 16 people give their life to Christ on a Sunday and going, Lord, what are we going to do? with this? How are we going to follow up on this? How are we going to take care? How are we going to plug in? How are we going to get in? We only have six community groups. How are we going to get people into community? We don't have enough. Lord, we got to have more. we got to have people on the front line and on the field playing the game, not just watching from the stands in order for us to take care of all the people that you're bringing. And I can remember feeling that just sense of burden. Lord, would you put people in these places of service? Would you recall these volunteers? Would you have people open their homes to to be community group host homes? And would you get people to serve with the babies and serve with the children and serve with the students and be ushers and greeters and and all of that to get ready to help people advance in their journey? Because we can't do it as a staff team. No way. And I remember that burden. I'm just telling you, I feel it more today than I did eight years ago. With thousands of people. And there's this great temptation around here to look around and go, there are thousands of people and that church is on autopilot and it is operating and God is blessing and they don't even need me. And I'm just going to tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. 
It's more true today than it was eight years ago. That God is bringing this harvest and there are dozens of people giving their lives to Christ. You realize we baptized 700 people in the last 12 months and they need somebody to help them advance in their journey. They need community group leaders and they need host homes and they need somebody taking care of their babies and taking care of their children and watching this. And there's a system here that has worked for eight years and here's how it works. Watch. We take people who are far from God, who are thinking about committing suicide, who are on the last inch of their life and somebody invites them and they come and the Holy Spirit draws them and they end up giving their life to Jesus. Jesus Christ. In three or four months, we get them in the Word, and we take them through My 316, and we get them in a community group, and they connect, and all of a sudden, they start serving, and they start helping, and they go reach people. And if at any point in this process, all of a sudden, this guy says, I'm serving, I'm helping, I'm plugged in, but I'm tired, and I'm going to back off, and I'm going to rest, or you know what? I could go to that church and just sit around, or I could go and be a part of that Sunday school class, and I could get it all done in one morning. You know, I could go to church and then go to Sunday school, church, you know, about, they don't even do that i got to come back another night to get in a community group and go to home. But I'm going to pull out of that. What happens when you pull out of that is you break the cycle. And what you've said is to those people who are behind me that still need to come to Christ, they can go to hell. Because now I have Jesus. And let me just say it again today. That's not on the script today. But that one was from God. And the first time I sidebarred this morning, it was just stupid and silly, and it was, don't even write it down. It was, let's say Alex, not God. But what I just said to you a moment ago is a word from God Almighty to all of you under the sound of my voice today. In the chapel in this room and watching by the internet today. God is our focus. Heaven is our source. And people are our motivation. And we ought to celebrate today. Listen to what Amos 9.13 says. And the time will come, says the Lord. Amos 9.13. The time will come when the grain and the grapes grow faster than they can be harvested that the reaper will overtake the planter. And can I just tell you, we're there. We got entire school systems. The, the, the lady over all of the activities in the Union Public School System in tears told Merit the other day, I'm over everything that the children care about in the whole district. Prom, homecoming, sports, Cheerleaders, clubs. She said, we love the church at Battle Creek. Doesn't even go here. And we love how you take care of our kids. Whatever you need. I've been praying for that door to open for eight years. We've been sending youth pastors with the Broken Arrow football team for years. And now they're getting the opportunity to talk before state games and to do devotions with team and, and to watch these things play out. God, God is, he, he's taken us to another, and it could not be further from the truth that you are not needed. It is more true today than it has ever been true. And it's time for us to own it and to step up into this vision. And I want us to celebrate. Listen to the last verse of today, 20, verse 20. Then David said to the whole assembly, 
Give praise to the Lord your God, and the entire assembly praised the Lord and their God and their ancestors, the God of their ancestors. And they bowed low and they knelt before the Lord and the King. And I want us to follow this blueprint. And just to kind of know where you are today, would you just bow your heads and I want to ask you a couple questions before we pray. Number one, how many of you have been praying for a miracle the last few weeks and, and God has answered? Would you just raise your hand and let me see it all across the room? Lots and lots and lots of hands. Okay, you can put them down. How many of you have been praying for a miracle and you hadn't seen it happen yet? You're still praying. Would you just lift your hand? Let me see. Lots and lots of hands. And for those of you who are still praying, I'm going to open up the altar. In fact, just even now, you could just stand and come and come in to continue to pray about the miracle that you're talking to God about and that you're in need of. That's the journey. And maybe the miracle is what he does in our hearts through the journey of trusting him for a miracle. But others of you in the room today, you need a miracle today. And the cry of your heart is, if God doesn't come through today, I'm going under this afternoon. I need a miracle today. If that's you, would you just raise your hand say pastor that's me I I, I need it today I I need him to come through for me today there's a sense of urgency in in my need I need it today Would, would you just slip your hand up high and let me see it all across the room okay okay in fact if your hand is raised would you just stand up just stand up I need one today okay just stand up And if you felt led, you're still seated out here, would you just stand up and go put your hands on the shoulders of the people? I'm, I'm not bringing them forward to staff. Every member of minister here, I, 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 let's just be the church to one another today. So would you just go to somebody around you who's, in fact, if you just raise your hand still, if you're standing for prayer, just raise your hand so that people can get to you. Now that other people are standing, it'd be confusing as to who's standing for prayer and who's not. And so just slip your hand up, guys. We, we, we got several people around the building today that need prayer warriors to get up and get around them. Okay, and so if you're a prayer warrior, just turn and look. Uh, we got some right back here, guys, that need some prayers. Anybody else? You stood for prayer and nobody's gathered around you, no hands on your shoulder. Slip your hand up and let me see it, okay? We don't want to leave anybody out. And would you just ask them their name and maybe ask them what their need is? and what they need prayer for, and just pray out loud. And let's just live this concert of prayer, rise out of this place, the church of Jesus Christ today, and pray that God would meet the needs that they have. And here's what I know. There's some big, big needs. There's some big, big struggles and some great temptation going on in the lives of our people. But I know that our God is greater and our God is stronger And our God is capable of so much more. And so we're going to worship him this morning as we pray and and as as we be the church this morning. You're here at the altar praying for a miracle. You stay and pray. And let's worship him today. And let's pray for God to do God-sized things in in our lives. You're praying for a miracle at family and a miracle in your job. Listen, we still need miracles at, at the church. 
We need all the resources to come in to take care of the preparations at that campus. But you know what we need? We need everybody who's supposed to plug in and step up to plug in and step up. In fact, that's a greater miracle than the money needed. We need everybody to obey God and to step up to the plate and find their service and find their gift mix and get in it and serve and help us move this ball down the field to reach this city for Jesus Christ. Let's pray for miracles.